Um, did you catch Dan Levy on Saturday Night Live yesterday or this morning? So, yeah, I watched. So that was my first full episode of um, Saturday Night Live because I love Dan Levy. So I'm like, of course, I'm going to watch. I don't think I like Saturday Night Live. <laughs> I will say it was funny, but I just don't think it was like the best yeah. episode I've ever seen. There were there were a couple times where I chuckled. Um, but other than that, I'm like, eh, you know, it's okay, I guess. <laughs> now that we don't have, like, a joke as a president anymore, like, literally the script, like, they wouldn't even change anything when they were doing sketches before. They would just, like, reenact what happened, and it was so ridiculous that it was funny, but, yeah, now... Yeah, I I can't say that there were like any really good like standout ones. They did a really funny one um last last week when John Krasinski was on. There was like a really funny sketch, but oh. I haven't been like wowed by any. <laughs> yeah, I feel like with at least when I was just looking at Hulu like this season, the I get a guest guest host I feel like are all people that I'm like oh I like that person like Issa Rae and stuff but um yeah I feel like after seeing um Dan Levy's who you know I love uh, I probably will not be watching Saturday Night Live again <laughs> oh that's sad um I'll keep watching just because literally what else do I have to do um but I will yeah. say it wasn't like my favorite and well that's the thing is that just because someone is like a fantastic actor or actress doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to do a great job on Saturday Night Live it also yeah. like has to do with like did they give them good material to work with? Are they good at working with a live audience? All kinds of different factors. Yeah. I also feel like the sketch comedy format just really isn't for me um, personally. But Fair enough. You know, like not everything is for everybody. So it's all good. Exactly. Exactly. I, I'm recording on my living room floor today. Um, that sounds lovely. And like, if I could show you how close to my face Ollie is right now. <laughs> Hi, Ollie. <laughs> um. All right, dude. <laughs> okay. I'm in my closet again, as oh. per usual. Solid, solid. I like that. Um. I wonder. Yeah. It feels weird to be on my living room floor doing this, but it's. Cool. I just don't know how you could. Gosh, it would be so noisy if I tried to record in my living room. <laughs> well, Jarrell's like still in bed. So. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, Evan's watch as he's been watching soccer all day, and he baked a quiche. So Ooh, <laughs> very that loud. That's cool. Uh, who's Evan's soccer team? Uh, no idea. Uh, <laughs> Chelsea, maybe. Okay. He well, he watches all of them. Okay. Um, we're we're a Tottenham Hotspur family here, so I oh, I think that's what my friend's husband likes. Is that team, <laughs> or maybe I don't know. I want to say it's Chelsea that Evan likes. It, whatever team is like light blue. No idea. <laughs> I don't know. I literally I know nothing about soccer, but 
Jarrell's a fan of Tottenham Hotspur, and that's the team he plays for in FIFA. Therefore, I am a fan of oh, Tottenham Hotspur. So, whatever you say. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan of zero sports. Do you know the Super Bowl is on today? I just found out yesterday. <laughs> Who's so. playing? It's the Chiefs and the Florida team. The the Buc- Buccaneers. Buccaneers. Yeah. Have they ever yeah. been in the Super Bowl before? I wouldn't know. I've only ever been to Tampa once, so <laughs> I don't know either. Um, yeah. All I know is that Tom Brady, because he's playing for the Buccaneers now, so like, I think there's mixed feelings here in Boston about Uh-oh. that. Some people are like, "Yay," others are, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you know, I lukewarm. <laughs> I'm pretty. I'm pretty indifferent to football um, in general. I'm not really a big fan, so. I hear that. <laughs> oh my gosh, something must be happening. I'm indifferent to all sports ever. I don't care for any sport in the entire world. I, if like all sports went away, I would just be so happy. I'm like a big Miami Heat basketball fan, but that's just because of what I grew up with. But also I'm not like, I also have too much anxiety to watch the basketball games because I feel like if they lose, it's my fault for watching therefore I don't watch <laughs> but um other than that I just really like gymnastics like I like to catch like highlights of either college gymnastics or um the in the Olympics because um those people Ollie just kicked the microphone <laughs> <laughs> and he's sneezing um because I just feel like gymnastics at that level takes so much skill that I will I could never have, and so I just look in awe. Can you even touch my toes? <laughs> like, for real? <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. Dude, you've already stretched. Like, stop. <laughs> Ollie needs to stretch more. He's preparing for his Olympics gymnastics career. He's going to be the first dog to ever compete in the Olympics. Do you hear him? He's, like, putting his paw. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Ollie, go to your kennel. He doesn't even have a kennel. I just point somewhere and he just goes. <laughs> Wait, what? I was going to say he actually listens to you and goes somewhere. Yeah. He'll go to like, um, he'll he'll go to his bed or if his bed isn't there, he goes to the front door and just like lays in front of the front door. What a well-trained dog. Oh my um, gosh. Our yeah. dogs don't listen to any commands. None of them. <laughs> Literally. You can be like, Peyton, sit. And she'll like look at you kind of weird and you're like, holding the tree and so she like knows that she needs to do something so she'll like (laughs) lay on the ground and i'm like yeah close enough here you go (laughs) yeah i mean ollie's pretty stubborn so if he doesn't want to do it he won't um but if he feels like he might get in trouble or he could potentially get a treat he will so that's how i live my life too (laughs) same oh gosh so um, I mean, do you have any other banter you want to add, or <laughs> shall we particular? jump in? Okay. Uh, I wait. Have you watched uh, Firefly Lane at all on Netflix? No, that just came out like a couple days ago, right? Yeah, I've already with watched Catherine all of Heigl. It. Okay, yeah, no, I haven't watched it. Is it good? Yeah, it's pretty good. I would, I would recommend it. Okay, I like I... watched all of it in two days, and I'm pretty sure it's like ten episodes, and they're like forty minutes each. Okay. And that's all I did. <laughs> this weekend it was just that uh, it's good though <laughs> i've been watching i've been watching um i've been watching dickinson on 
Apple TV, um, which is like about like it's a I feel like it's it's kind of like a cleaner version of what they try to do with The Great, but it's about Emily Dickinson. And so like, you know, they just take like modern things and like put it in the past. So like Hmm. people so like they're like, I don't want to get married. Like I'm I'm like a 14th century woman, like whatever, (laughs) whatever the time (laughs) period is. Like, I have no idea. But they're just like, you know, I don't want a man to hold me down like stuff like that. So it's kind of funny. Maybe we should watch it. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It just stresses me out because like I just keep thinking I'm like, man, nobody really knew of Emily Dickinson or her writing until after she died. Like, how sad is this that now her life is just like, you know, now this TV show where it's kind of satirizing, satirizing. I don't know how to say that word. Satirical? I don't know. Making fun of, kind of. um, uh, Making her life a little satirical. And so it like made me think, hmm, no one's even going to remember me when I'm dead. (laughs) Glad we're having some lighthearted thoughts. See, that is like reassuring to me okay wait 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 so it's not i don't think it's not that like no one's gonna remember okay well okay i'll start from the beginning so like everyone's going to eventually be forgotten after we die right but like think about your existence as like a pebble dropping in the water and having like ripple effects because you'll continue to live after you die based on the ripples like your children and like grandchildren they will all like carry your teachings forward you know or like the people that you've touched in your life will like pass on your legacy that way you know like you will go on to exist everyone will be forgotten maybe but I well my thoughts I'm like think of all this is like so dramatic but I'm like think of all the people whose names I don't know <laughs> And then the other thing is because of like just by virtue of, you know, being Haitian American, there's so many like I don't know my I don't even there's a couple grandparents that I'm not sure if I know their like real names that I have that passed and I don't know any of my grandparent great grandparents names and so I'm just kinda like, Man, my kids could just or my great grandkids may have no idea. <laughs> Well, we have the internet now, so they'll be able to, like, look up your old embarrassing Facebook statuses and be like, oh, that was my grandma. That's true. Oh, boy. They're going to love it. In 2010, she said, is doing homework, LOL. <laughs> like, what is homework? <laughs> oh, my God. I get, like, my old Facebook statuses. And, like, you know how it used to be, like, it would automatically populate as, like, mm-hmm. is? So, yeah. Yeah. But I would always leave the is, even if it didn't make sense. Like, yeah. And I would post song lyrics, like, every day of, like, some, <laughs> like, what I thought was really deep, but, and, like, related to my life situation at the time. And I was can like, you, oh, can you give real a song friends. Li- can you give a song lyric example? Oh, my God. I used to quote, I was really into Rent, which, looking back on it, <laughs> okay. I'm like... Why? <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, I think Rent's a fantastic musical, but I was like, mm, what part about my like sixteen-year-old suburban Illinoisian self related to this musical about like, uh, like vagabonds in New York who are suffering from like the AIDS crisis? Like, 
no, no, no. It really spoke to me, though. I, like, memorized the whole musical, so I would post, like, Rent lyrics all the time. But also, looking back on it, like, I don't know. I guess maybe I'd have to re-watch the musical, but the one guy was like, I'll pay your rent. Like, you can live here rent-free. I just want you to, like, cancel this protest. And now I feel like I relate more to that guy than... Then the, I'm like, dude, you got your rent paid for for free in New York. That's, like, <laughs> worth, like, my entire salary. <laughs> like, I understand, like, the importance of protests and whatnot. Although, like, I don't really remember what the protest was about because it's been so mm-hmm. long since I've seen it. Yeah. But, like, now I'm like, oh, my God, if someone offered to pay my rent, I would, like, do just about anything for them. <laughs> um. <laughs> Rent, uh, rent in New York, um, is a pretty big theme in my case. Um, oh, really? Yes. <laughs> wow, so, I was so on point. <laughs> great segue there. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pink Collar Crime, a true crime podcast focusing exclusively on crimes committed by women. I'm Rachel. And I'm Natalie. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Each week, we're going to tell you about one or two cases of crimes committed by women and discuss details, motives, similarities, and differences, etc., etc. If you like our show, tell your friends. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating and tell us what you love or don't love about the show. And give us a follow on social media at pinkcollar underscore pod. So, yeah, um, this week, Rachel um, sent me a very confusing text um, (laughs) and said, at first I thought we were going to do that serial killer poisoning thing. Fortunately, I didn't look anything up yet. Well, here's the thing. We were going to do that. And that's like on my docket, I guess. But like. We just did old crimes, and, like, that's an older one. Um, so I was listening to an episode of Chatty Broads, which is uh, that one girl, Rebecca, from Ari's season of The Bachelor, because she, her and her friend do, like, Bachelor stuff, and they, like, have, like, insider details because she was on the show. Um, but they did an episode with the Long Island medium lady, and she, Becca had, like, posted on her Instagram about, like, oh, my gosh, like, she had said things that, like, she wouldn't have known by looking me up or blah, blah, blah. So I went into it expecting there to be, like, some kind of profound, like, psychic reading or whatever. And it was just, like, the biggest scam that I've, like, literally, she's, like, talking, talking about how great she is and stuff. And then, so she starts doing a reading with the one girl. And she's, like, okay, I have someone here. I'm, like sensing you know something in in the throat like maybe difficulty like having a hard time breathing or blah 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 um and the girl's like oh yeah I had a grandfather pass away from like a heart attack or like I don't know some stuff like that so it was like very general statements that she was throwing out because I feel like that could apply to anyone if you if I said to you Natalie I'm picturing a person And, like, they're, like, holding their chest, you know, having a hard time breathing. You know, maybe it's something related to the chest. Do you have anyone in your life that, you know, has passed away from from something, you know, related to, like, their chest or or their throat or something like that? Do you have, like, a person that you don't have to share, but do you have someone that comes to mind? No. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) 
Well, then. <laughs> that, well, here's the thing, though, is that I feel like that's such a cop Generic, because, yeah. Yeah, how many people... That can apply to so many things. Like, someone who's yeah. had a heart attack. Someone, like, to me, I'm like, oh, that could have applied to me. I had a grandfather pass away from lung cancer. Um, You know, if you know someone who's passed away from a heart attack. If someone... The breathing thing. Like, choke to death. Like, that could apply yeah. to so many different people. And mm-hmm. then she was doing something... She was, like, doing a reading on, on Becca. And she was like, do you have someone in your life who passed away, like, too young? Who was, like kind of before their time to pass away um and she was like yeah my grandfather blah 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 and like got all into this and I'm like no offense but like your grandfather is not like to me when I hear someone who like passed away tragically young I would think of like a sibling or like someone younger which like obviously your grandparent (laughs) can pass away like at a young age but like and then she was just kind of making these, like, generalized statements of, like, okay, I'm sensing, like, like roses. Like, do, is there anything, you know, related to roses? I'm I'm sensing, like, a, an event coming up soon. Like, is there, you know, like, an anniversary or a birthday that's coming up? Like, and it just so happened that her grandfather was a florist, which, like, to me, flowers, I think that, like, all men, not all men, but, like... Um, getting flowers for your partner is like such a common thing and I think especially like with older adults like it would be more common than nowadays because we're all poor and buying avocado toast or whatever Um, (laughs) but she was like the whole like oh is there an important event coming up that's so generic like what are the odds that someone's birthday and like coming up that's like could be anything it could be like oh in two months like it's their birthday (laughs) like at some point throughout the year someone's gonna have an important event so I was like sitting there listening I was like this is the scammiest thing I've ever heard of and it's just like (laughs) these people like and I went and like watched some of her videos of like her just doing like yeah it just was like such nonsense I just was like you're preying upon people who could like honestly like if you ever consider going to see a psychic see a therapist and sad and like <laughs> just talk about like because clearly all these people are going through like issues and they need someone to like help them process the loss of a loved one so like you know it's probably a lot cheaper like even paying out of therapy out of your own pocket is like probably cheaper than seeing a psychic in some cases and yeah. like actually have someone who like knows what they're talking about instead of someone like just telling you what you want to hear, essentially. Like, yeah. it was just ridiculous. So, if you were really a psychic, you would just enter the lottery and, like, not tell anyone. And Seriously. It's the same. It, that is, like, the same kind of logic that I have for, like, like, the Salem witch trials where they're like, oh, these people are witches. But I'm like, if they were witches, why aren't they stopping you from burning them at the stake right now? <laughs> Exactly. Like, think about it. Well, yeah, wasn't it like, <laughs> oh, we're going to throw you in the water, and if you drown, you're not a witch, but if you don't drown, then you are a witch, and we're going to kill you anyway? Yeah, like, why wouldn't they have stopped you from, like, throwing them in the water in the first place? So, <laughs> so it's a scam, um, basically, and I was just really fired up, so I, like, had to... <laughs> Also, Becca, my sister, recently recommended, like, a psychic case to me. So I was mm-hmm. like, all right, we're going to switch gears and do <laughs> But, scams. yeah, so Rachel texted me both about psychics and says, like, we're doing scammers. And so I'm like, oh, okay, we're doing scammers. <laughs> I think um, psychics fall into that category, though. Yeah, so 
yeah, so that's what we're doing, I guess. Technically, scams, and it encompasses all sorts of different things, I guess. So I'm going to preface this with my case is one that it's kind of it's so current that there isn't really like one source or like even a couple sources that have everything like laid out, you know. And so there was a lot of looking at NBC News, New York Times, like all of these different places and like piecing things together. And so honestly, I have like a full time job and I'm applying and I'm like doing grad school interviews. So it's probably not perfect. Um, <laughs> That's so, exactly how mine is. And I'm not even <laughs> applying to grad school. I'm like, I'm I'm honestly not too pressed about it. Um, but yeah, so if some of the things I say don't make sense, definitely check out our sources um, or just Google. Like, it'll be cool. <laughs> Seriously, so. half the time we do, like, an episode, I'll be thinking about it, like, two weeks later. I'm like, did I just, like, use the wrong name for this person, like, halfway throughout my script? <laughs> or, like, yeah, just roll with it. We just, yeah. This is a hobby, guys. <laughs> we do our best. Right? We're not getting paid for this. <laughs> no, we're actually paying money to do this. <laughs> exactly. Um, so um, I'm doing the case of Anna Sorokin, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. Um, and she also um, would go by Anna Delvey. And so we'll see. Let's get into it, guys. Take it away. <clears throat> So um, Anna Sorokin was born in 1991 in the Soviet Union, which is Russia or was Russia. Not sure. Russian history. We didn't really do much of that in school. Sorry. Um, And so when she was 16, alongside her parents and brother, she moved to, man, I meant to look this up because I'm learning German, but I like don't 100% know how to pronounce this place, but. Um, I'm going to say Eschweiler. I don't know. E-S-C-H-W-E-I-L-E-R, Germany. So Why are you learning German? Um, Just for funsies? Yeah, I'm like, it's not too far from English. Um, I feel like... I'm German. Huh? I don't speak German. I'm German. I don't speak it, but I Evan am. strikes me as German. Evan's super German. Okay. <laughs> like, he looks pretty German to me. The, the town that he's from... Uh, like is just so in upstate New York. It's like super, super German. Like it's where the they kept like prisoners of war from Germany. Mm-hmm. Super, super German. Um, uh, by the way, Rochester. I I don't know if you saw that like recent news case where there was like a little girl. She was nine years old, and. Like, there was some sort of, like, thing that happened at home, whether, like, I think she thought her mom stabbed her dad. I don't know if that actually happened. Um, She saw her dad, like, bleeding and holding his stomach, and, like, there was a fight. Just a huge crisis. Police were called, and she was, like, running away, because obviously she's nine years old, and it's a lot to handle. And, like, the police, like, roll up on her, and he's, like, being super aggressive with her. Like, why are you running away? And she's like, I just don't want to be here. Um, and she's, like, freaking out, crying. And she, he's like, you need to move with me. You're going to my patrol car. And she's like, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Her mom rolls up, and her mom's, like, threatening, basically, to, like, beat her. Like, beat, like, to, like, she's just like, you're my kid. Like, shut the heck up. Like, you're going inside. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever. Um, and so the girl's, like, refusing to, like, walk to the patrol car. And, like, the cops, like, you're behaving like a child. She's like, I am a child. Good for her for saying that. And then they, like, maybe, like, I don't I feel like 
10 patrol cars ended up rolling up for this girl like the mom gets arrested just because the mom was like yelling at the daughter like i guess the police said she like was obstructing justice i guess whatever um and then they were like we're arresting the little girl too and she wouldn't get in the patrol car and this like female cop is trying to like diffuse the situation she's like honey look calm down like whatever um and then the dude like just walks up and like pepper sprays this little girl he does like, not yeah unsurprising this is a black girl and her black mother um and so yeah rochester get your poop together because i hope what they the sue them yeah that's ridiculous um, absolutely insane over um but anyway back to this I'm learning German for fun. <laughs> and so after she, after Anna graduated high school, she moved to London to attend Central St. Martin School while being entirely supported by her parents back in Germany. Um, by the following year, Anna had dropped out of college and moved to Berlin to complete an internship at a public relations firm. The internship was instrumental in her securing another internship, this time at Purple Magazine in Paris, France. I don't know what Purple Magazine is, but all the articles made it sound like a really big deal. So I guess it's a big deal. Um, and so this so yeah she got the internship at purple magazine in paris france and so this is where anna's path to infamy begins um anna became friends with important people and began uh, attending high profile events like paris fashion week around this time so around this time anna went from using her actual name anna sorokin to going by anna delvey and her journey into scamming as a profession began she would later say that delvey was her mother's maiden name but i think her parents were like nah like this i don't know what's wrong with this girl um so yeah um she just kind of made that up i guess and so in 2013 Oh, sorry. It was 2013 by this time when she started going by Anna Delvey. Um, There was a lot of irony in the person that Anna chose to be the victim of her first scam. And I'll be honest, I don't really feel bad (laughs) about it. Um, And so that same year, Anna crossed paths with Billy McFarland. And so if you recall from the back-to-back Netflix and Hulu documentaries in 2017, Billy McFarland scammed investors out of tens of millions of dollars to hold the fictitious fire festival oh my god <laughs> no was that yes. that's yes. i'm sorry that's awesome um so i'm kind of like i mean did and at this point he was already running like scams so i'm kind of like scammer got scammed like whatever um <clears throat> and so in 2013, Billy had founded a club for millennials called Magnesis. Um, and so I would I would never go to a club in general, but I also wouldn't go to a club that's like marketed as a club for millennials because I'm like, how hip are you trying to be? <laughs> um, also, and millennials so, are like old now. We're not hip right? anymore. <laughs> well, this is 2013. So I guess True, this that's was like peak millennial. What? It's like peak millennial 2013. Yeah. Yeah, and so, like, I get it, but also it just seems like, mm, I don't know, like, cheesy. Um, And so, of course, Billy's club was funded by $1.5 million that he scammed from investors because, like, let's be honest, he wasn't really, like, 
doing anything serious. Um, anyway, so the headquarters for Billy's club was housed in a fancy Soho loft. Anna knew people that worked for Billy and she had arranged it so that she could just temporarily stay in the loft for just a few days. You know, she's like, you know, I'm like traveling. I just need a few days, whatever. Billy's like, cool, not a problem. Instead, Anna stayed for four months, refusing to leave and failing to pay any rent or anything for like staying there for so long. And so as far as I can tell, there was like a promise that compensation for the time that she spent there was like on its way. Um, But like, of course, it never came. And so it got to the point where the only way to get her out of the loft was for Billy and his team to end their lease and move their headquarters to a new location. Um, Oh, my gosh. So I'm like, all right, you go, girl. And so that's what they did. And Billy never saw a cent of the rent that Anna owed. And um, the scheme would kind of eventually be just like a major part of Emma's like Emma, sorry, Anna's MO and like how she like operates moving forward. And so by 2015, Anna Delvey was living it up in New York City. Um, everyone knew who she was. She knew where the hottest spots in the city were. She had celebrity and high powered friends, lavish, expensive designer clothes and some of the most expensive co- accommodations money could buy. Just not Anna's. <laughs> so funny um it's unclear to me exactly who anna claimed to be other than simply an heiress um and she clearly presented herself to be a very wealthy woman anna claimed that she was just about to come into her inheritance or like a trust fund when she turned 25 which don't know what that's like and so it in the article that exposed Anna Delby's scheme or Anna Sorokin's scheme, um, the journalist asked people who knew Anna where they like knew her money to come from. Uh, someone was quoted, I thought she had family money. Another friend swore that Anna Delby's father was a Russian diplomat. Another knew that her dad was an oil tycoon. A millionaire tech CEO was confident that Delby's, um, that Anna Delby's, sorry, that the Delby's were big antiquities dealers in Germany. So apparently you can make a lot of money being an antiquities dealer. And some, some say that Anna actually claimed to be German royalty, but Anna like spoke very poor German. So don't know how she was pulling that one off. I probably speak better German than her. Well, that's what you, (laughs) when you learn German, you can start to pretend like you're German royalty. (laughs) Seriously. Um, and so regardless of who, um, her family was or where her money came from, Anna Delvey quickly became a Manhattan socialite. Uh, she even became friends with Macaulay Culkin and nothing says socialite like being friends with Michael Jackson's kid's godfather. Um, and also fun fact while doing this, did you know that Macaulay Culkin held a vote for like what he should legally change his middle name to? And the winner of the like vote was Macaulay Culkin. And so now his legal name is Macaulay Macaulay Culkin Culkin. <laughs> that <laughs> Which I love. Is like, what? That guy's weird. <laughs> that guy's so weird. Do you know he oh. dated Mila Kunis? Yeah, and he's now with Brenda Song. Yeah. So like, yeah, London Tipton, which I'm like, this is, I love it. Um, I think it was last year he tweeted, he's like, do you want to feel old? 
I'm 40. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh and I like died. I was like, that is hilarious. I do feel old. Wait, is he actually 40 or is he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That's um, amazing. I so yeah, um, she was friends with Macaulay, Macaulay, Culkin, Culkin. Um, and so anyway, back to Anna. So she would stay at expensive hotels with like some of them had like night nightly rates of like 400 plus dollars a night, which I assume that there are hotels with even like higher nightly rates, but I could never imagine staying at a hotel that was like $400 a night. Like, at least not with my current income. Oh, um, my rent's expensive enough. I can't yeah. to pay $400 a night somewhere else. Yeah. And Jeez. so she would she would book her stays for, like, a month or more. Um, and because rich people staying in pricey boutique hotels get more perks than poor people staying at, like, a day's inn, Anna didn't even, like, have a credit card on file, nor did she pay for, like, any portion of her trip. Meanwhile, if I, like, want to go down to the street to, like, the Hyatt Regency, they're going to, like, put a holds for, like, like, the amount of my stay plus, like, incidentals on my, like, debit card. So, <laughs> whatever. Um, God, Evan just sneezed so loud it startled me. <laughs> I'm sorry if that made its way onto the recording. <laughs> You're fine. Um, and so instead, whenever the bill came, Anna would just swear that a wire transfer was on its way to take care of the bill. Um, and they're like, okay, you're an heiress, whatever. And so Anna walked around the hotel in her robe, holding a glass of expensive wine, giving staff $100 bills, like, like you know, she was just throwing it at people, just like, oh, here you go. Thanks for being here. Um, she'd like pay. She'd ask people like questions that she already knew the answer to and then would give them $100 for like answering the question. Um, anything that they did for her, she'd give $100. And so I'm like, you know, cool. Tip, tip the staff. That would make I'd, me like her and like, yeah, maybe look the other way if her wire transfer didn't come through. Yeah. And so she annoyed most of the hotel staff, but they obviously tolerated her since she like tipped so generously. Um, At one hotel, she treated the concierge as her personal secretary. Anna told the concierge that she was on the verge of opening a Soho style club in Dubai, Hong Kong, London, Los Angeles and New York, which okay girl um and so she'd monopolize the concierge's time for a hundred dollars or more in interaction um and so having the concierge answer all sorts of questions arranging business meetings and getting anna reservations to the most exclusive restaurants to have said business meetings um and again i really don't understand like reading through these articles like where she was just getting like this free-flowing like cash like to be handing away hundreds of dollars but she had it um but she obviously was not an heiress backed by millions of dollars as she was claiming um i read in one article they had interviewed um this concierge uh that anna had kind of i don't know take taken as a personal assistant to some degree and she would be like yeah, I'd have like a line of eight people that I was helping in front of Anna and she would just like stand off to the side and would put like hundreds, hundred dollar bills on the table, like one by one and just stare at the concierge basically saying like, you need to stop talking to them and all this money is yours. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, okay, sure. Um, 
And so once Anna racked up an astronomical bill, she knew her time was up at the hotel. Um, and so she uh, would either she'd pack her things um, and check out. And again, with the promise that the wire transfer was on her way um, while she made her way to the next hotel to on her list to do the same scheme. Um, a lot of these times, actually, the hotel ended up kicking her out. But I'll get into that later. And so once Anna met a a billionaire Chinese art gallery owner named Michael Huang. Um, He has a middle name that's X-U-F-U, and I um, would never be able to pronounce that, so I'm just not. Um, And also, he was, like, 22 years old and, like, a billionaire art gallery owner. So, like, what? Were his parents (laughs) rich? I assume so, because how do you get that kind of money? Um, anyway, so Anna convinced Michael that they needed to go to Venice and Berlin for one reason or another. She also convinced him that instead of splitting the cost on everything, like, like, uh, like on the way, like just doing like, oh, we'll split the cost for dinner. We'll split the cost for this, that it would be easier for him to just pay for everything. And in the end, like he should give her like a total and basically she'd like Venmo him half. No Um, offense. If you're like a billionaire, like, can you just like cover it? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's kind of why he was like, oh, Why yeah, do you no, even have to, no like, discuss deal. someone covering? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, and so he ended up spending thousands. And, of course, much like Fire Festival Billy and many of the NYC, like, boutique hotels, um, they, like, ne- he never saw, like, a cent of what he was owed <laughs> by Anna. Um, and so she did this to several wealthy friends um, during her time as Anna Delvey. She also did it to people who, like weren't wealthy so like working photographers and stuff um in one case the person was like left with a bill and didn't have like it was more than a year's salary of the bill that like they had to be responsible for because of anna and so they had to put it on like their business credit card um to like foot it so oh my gosh yeah so she like just clearly didn't care about like the people she was interacting with um all in the name of this scheme and yeah, so, if you're, like, scamming billionaires, I can't say, like, because I feel like if a like, couple thousand for them would be, like, $5 for me. And if someone, like, if I was like, oh, hey, you owe me $5, and they were like, yeah, yeah, I'll pay you back, and they never did, I probably wouldn't try too hard to, like, get that $5 back because it just wouldn't yeah. be worth it. Like, I would probably yeah. hate them forever, but yeah, in principle, no. how much time am I going to spend trying to get my $5 back? Yeah, exactly. Um, so soon, Anna got the idea to start a foundation, the Anna Delvey Foundation. There oh, my par- God. There, there was apparently discussions with, like, other people, like, who, um, like, I guess were advising her that they were like, I mean, do you feel like calling it the Anna Delvey Foundation would be a little narcissistic? But, you know, I guess people name foundations after themselves all the time. Um, and so my thought, and so I don't know if this is actually the case, so this is just my speculation, you can't sue me for this, um, is that much like what Maureen O'Connor did from our, like, gambling episode a few weeks ago, um, Anna probably planned to, like, raise money for her foundation and use much of that money to, like, fund her lifestyle, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, obviously, the fundamental part of Anna scamming was basically just faking it until she made it. And so, in the name of her foundation, she decided that she that she needed her foundation to be headquartered in, like, a really, like, exclusive, like, place that 
like the name preceded itself. And so um, she decided on the historic church missions house. And so that space was 45,000 square feet and it took up six floors and it was all owned by um, Abby or Abby um, Rosen so that's A-B-Y. I don't know how to pronounce that correctly. And so he was a German real estate tycoon living in New York City. And so he owned a lot of important properties. And so this isn't um, going to be the first time that A-B Rose, uh, Abby, I'm just going to say Abby, um, comes up in Anna's scam. And so one of the hotels that she ends up defrauding is Eleven Howard, which is also owned by him. Anyway, Anna claimed that she had the lease for the space. And so she was just telling people like, oh, here's where we're headquartered, blah, blah, blah. And so somehow I think telling people that her offices were headquartered in such an exclusive space um, owned by like such a high powered like real estate guy added some sort of legitimacy or believability to Anna's scam. Because like, oh, if this guy was willing to like lease out six floors of this like really like historical like place to you, then like this much be legit, you know? And so Anna decided that the foundation needed $25 million from investors in addition to the $25 million that she was telling people she was um, financing herself, which obviously she was not. And so she reached out to tons of Silicon Valley investors, but then she decided that she didn't want private investors. So my guess here is that she just wanted to get like word out to like rich and powerful people about this like forthcoming um, foundation. Um, basically, I don't know, just to get the word out, like, oh, and it's going to be, you know, a $50 million foundation Mm -hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And so I also think that being able to turn down interested investors might have led some to think that, I guess that turning them down implies that she probably had like the pick of the litter of investors. Um, And so through these rich and powerful friends, Anna got connected to a man named Andy Lance, who... I don't know. I tried to understand what he did, but he was some partner, some sort of firm that handles things like this. I don't know. Too rich for my blood. (laughs) And so Andy kind of pushes Anna's scam forward just unknowingly. Um, And so he was trying to help her secure loans from two major banks to fund the Anna Delvey Foundation. So to get that additional like $20 million. Um, And so Andy was under the impression that the bulk of Anna's wealth was in non-U.S. bank accounts. So that's what he told the banks that she was trying to get loans from. He assured them that the funds would be backed up by Anna's Swiss bank accounts. And so I feel like whenever you're watching like a movie and people are doing like shady stuff with money, they always talk about a Swiss bank account. always a Swiss bank account. Right? And so I don't know. I just feel like that might have been clue number one to Andy, but... You know, no, because he probably like, had like a whatever. real Swiss bank account. He probably like, knows tons of people I, with real Swiss I, bank accounts. I guess I don't know. Like if a twenty like four year old or whatever is like, yeah, I have like billions in a Swiss bank account. I'm like, mm, sure. <laughs> um. Anyway, so naturally, the banks that she was trying to get loans from were like, cool. Let's see them bank statements then, heiress. And so Anna submitted fake documents sent by her business manager, 
Peter claiming that she had 60 million euros in her in her Swiss bank accounts. Um, and so she sent that to um, bank number one. I'm not going to name the banks. Um, and so please note that Peter wasn't real. She just made this guy up. Um, and also later on, as her like scam starts to fall apart and like people are like, give us show us proof of like your wealth she just claims that well like i can't really do that right now because my business manager peter died (laughs) so she killed peter (laughs) so poor peter um he was only alive for like a year it feels like um and so bank number one after getting the um fake like um bank statements to prove her wealth in her Swiss bank accounts. Bank number one gives her a hundred K a hundred thousand dollar line of credit. And so that one hundred thousand dollars, um so so she took that one hundred thousand dollars and she paid bank number two to cover something called due diligence fees for trying to secure the loan. I guess I don't know, putting up a hundred thousand dollars shows that you have money. I don't know. And so bank number two wasn't really convinced about her funds and they actually wanted the Swiss bank to send representatives in person to go over Anna's assets. And so obviously that wasn't going to happen. And so Anna naturally withdrew her loan application from bank number two. And so she took the remaining line of credit from bank number one just to continue funding her lifestyle. Um, Anna then threw a lavish birthday party for herself at an exclusive and expensive restaurant. She even had that gallery owner that she like scammed out of thousands of dollars um, there. And he like was a legit millionaire or billionaire, whatever it was. And so he really, I guess, wasn't really pressed about getting um, the money from Anna. And so he didn't really think about it much until the restaurant actually reached out to him after the party because they saw a picture of him and Anna at the party on Instagram. Basically, Anna owed like boatloads of money to this restaurant and they couldn't get in contact with her. And so they like reached out to him like, hey, we're trying to get in contact with this woman. Like you clearly know her. (laughs) Yeah. And so he was like kind of suspicious, but I guess like whatever, he's rich, like and has some more important things to worry about. But eventually Anna's circle starts to get smaller and start smaller. And I suspect it's because things kind of seem to get a little bit more suspicious or like fishy around her. And but Anna keeps up her scam of staying at expensive hotels while depositing bad checks into banks. So, for example, she deposited one hundred and sixty thousand dollars worth of bad checks. And like while those checks were waiting to clear, you know, a lot of banks will give you like credit for the check beforehand. Mm -hmm. And so she was able to withdraw seventy thousand dollars before the checks ended up getting like returned as bad. Um, meanwhile, she was also she also had racked up a thirty thousand dollar like bill at Abby Rosen's Eleven Howard Hotel, and so she even somehow got the bank to send thirty thousand dollars to the Eleven Howard Hotel. That eventually the bank was like, "Hold on, she actually doesn't have this money. Check bounce, not real. Give me back my money." So she still just had a big debt. Um, and so tired of not getting paid, the 11 Howard changed the codes to Anna's room, put thing, put her things in storage. Um, and so she, I guess, wasn't aware of this because she was on vacation or something, which who takes vacation while staying in a hotel? <laughs> 
gosh. And so she took a trip to Morocco. And at this point, she ended up scamming a friend out of $62,000. So I think this is the friend who was like a photographer and like didn't actually have the money and ended up having to put it on like her business credit card. Um, I could be wrong. Check my sources, guys. Um, And so when she went back to New York, her hotel scam like soon came to an end. Um, She she was staying at the Beekman Hotel. And so 20 days into her stay, she had racked up a bill of over $11,000. And so the bank was under the impression that a wire transfer was coming, but unsurprisingly, it never did. And so um, they looked to like charge Anna's credit card, but she didn't have a working credit card on file. And so they locked Anna out of her room and they confiscated all of her belongings that she had left in the hotel room. So, like, naturally, rather than, like, lay low, she went and tried to stay at the W Hotel. And, like, like two days into her stay, they, like, shut it down. They're like, you need to go. <laughs> you. Um, and so that was all in July of 2017. And so by August, the Beekman and W Hotels pressed charges against Anna. And Anna ran away to Los Angeles as if the United States, like, can't. Or that as if like this isn't one country and like we can't just come get you. <laughs> and so um so she was still scamming banks at this time with like bad checks like throughout her like journey to um Los Angeles. And so unsurprisingly, she was arrested in LA and sent back to New York, where she faced six counts of grand larceny and attempted grand larceny and theft of services. So not including what she had scammed banks out of, um, she had scammed hotels out of two hundred and seventy five thousand dollars, according what? to the Manhattan Yeah, according to the Manhattan district attorney. And so like, I'm actually, in some ways, I'm like, huh, I'm surprised it wasn't more money. <laughs> like, she was staying at these expensive hotels. Like, she had a $30,000 debt at one, 11000 at another, 60000 60, somewhere else. So, But this was only over the course of, like, a couple of years, no? Yeah, just, um, like, 2015 to 2017, I think, was the bulk of her, like, hotel scamming. So, yeah. Um, so, $275,000. Um, and so, in December of 2018... Anna appeared in a New York City court, a criminal court, because she committed a crime. And so <laughs> she <was> a criminal. <laughs> and so she was offered a plea deal that would have released her from jail pretty much immediately, but it would have deported her back to Germany um, by like early that next year, or so early 2019. And for whatever reason, she rejected it and she opted to go to trial instead. Which I don't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me because, like, obviously they're going to find you guilty. Like, no matter what, you're going to get deported. Like, you've overstayed your visa. You're not working in this country. (laughs) Like, um, but now you're either going to go to jail and get deported or you're just going to get deported. So, like, why would you want to spend years in, like, a U.S. prison? I don't understand. Well, she probably thought that she would, like, be able to get herself out of it. Like, that's how she lived her life, was just very much overconfidence, and it carried her through for a couple years. So she probably thought, like, there's no way. Like, I'll be able to get out of this. Well, sure, but, like, you can't get out of, like, U.S. immigration. So no matter what, she was going to get deported because she, like, wasn't supposed to be in the United States because she had no legitimate reason to be here, no job. You can't can't just come to the U.S. (laughs) She had a job. She was running a foundation. 
<laughs> oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I don't really understand her logic, but yeah, I, I'm not. So, I I do believe like you're definitely right, Rachel, about her feeling like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get out of this. I'm an untouchable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so whatever. Um, and so during the trial, the prosecutor said that Anna seemed to quote revel in the plight of her victims end quote, and that she showed more concern for her tire than the emotions of the people that she hurt. And so her defense attorney attempted to kind of humanize her and just claim that she was buying time to pay back all of her debt because she, you know, she was just an entrepreneur and like things just got out of hand and, you know, she was trying to figure it out and she was going to pay everything back. It was all in good faith. Um, and they even compared her to Frank Sinatra, um, <laughs> claiming that they both had created their own opportunities in New York. And so, you know, she's just a girl in New York with a dream. She's just Frank Sinatra. <laughs> yeah, just Frank Sinatra, totally. Um, and so, unsurprisingly, in April of 2019, a jury of her peers, of her American peers, um, found Anna guilty of second-degree larceny, um, theft of services in one account of first degree attempted grand larceny. Um, so this part, though, disappoints me because they actually found her not guilty of two charges. One was attempted grand larceny in the first degree for the $22 million loan that she was trying to basically steal from a bank um, or, I guess, defraud a bank out of. And then the theft of that $62,000 for the Morocco trip that she like left on. Um, I believe that photographer. Um, And so I think that kind of sucks because especially that case of the $60,000, like that was like a legitimate human that was significantly like hurt because of like what she did. Yeah. Versus like, you know, a major hotel, like at the end of the day, like these expensive hotels um, very likely can eat the cost Mm -hmm. of a $11,000 bill or a $30,000 bill. But Um, I do feel bad for that person. Um, And then also it doesn't like she wasn't ever charged um, for like like the other smaller scams that she did, like like that millionaire, like having him take yeah, having him like foot the bill for like a trip around the world and like the other things that she had done, like defrauding like that restaurant (laughs) for like thousands of dollars um, for that party. And so um, so she kind of got like she got away with a lot, I feel like. Um, um, but in May 2019, Anna was sentenced to four to 12 years in state prison. She was fined $24,000 and she was also ordered to pay $199,000 in restitution. And so again, given all that she actually stole, I feel like she didn't, she, she kind of got off easy. Yeah. Yeah. And also her earliest possible, possible release date is this year. So, um October 2021 and so she was sentenced in May 2019 and so the sentence was supposed to be four to 12 years but I guess because she was held at Rikers for the two years that her trial was going on they count that as time served um I personally kind of hope she doesn't stay in prison or sorry I kind of hope that she doesn't get out of prison um by October 2021 I feel like she could um use use some more time to think about what she's done (laughs) yeah but i feel like it's it's not gonna make a difference and she's there's no way she's ever gonna pay that money back and she yeah 
Exactly. She's also like um, the immigration and customs enforcement people um, also have like made it like very clear that she will be deported like upon her release. So either she either she's going to have to wait in like a ICE jail or after she's released from prison or she is going to have to just voluntarily like decide to leave. Um, So that is basically the case of Anna Sorokin slash Anna Delvey. Um, But like kind of going on to like her, I guess, infamy and like um, what's going on in pop culture around her. There have been like countless articles where people who were scammed by her or knew her as Anna Delvey have come out and just like, um, like told their story. Um, there was a book that was written by someone called My Friend Anna that was published in 2019. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, that was about this. Um, and then she also, I think Shonda Rhimes is like developing a Netflix Netflix series with her and that's going to be starting starring Julia Garner who is the like blonde girl with curly hair from Ozark if anyone has watched that I haven't um yeah and then Lena Dunham our favorite (laughs) is working on a project about Anna uh for HBO um and so yeah that is the story of Anna Selvi slash Anna Sorokin. What a wild ride. That was crazy. I'm glad you covered yeah. that. I was so I was like I came into this not knowing what to expect. And that was just <laughs> Um so my case, as I alluded to earlier, is related to psychics because one, my sister recommended it, and two, I just had, like, a bone to pick with psychics this week, because, like, after that, I just needed to, like, go on a rant about psychics. I was just not... I'm just really, really riled up, as you can tell. Um, so I am doing the case of Sylvia Brown. Um, so Sylvia Celeste Brown was born Sylvia Shoemaker on October 19th, 1936. She was raised in Kansas City, Missouri by her parents, William Lee and Celeste Shoemaker. She was raised as a Catholic, but her mother was said to be Episcopalian, and her maternal grandmother was Lutheran. Her father was Jewish, so at a young age, she was exposed to many different religions, and her spirituality would remain a really important part of her life. Um, So according to her website, Sylvia realized at the age of three that she wasn't a normal kid. She was able to see... She was a cool kid. (laughs) She was able to see things that others weren't able to see. It may have run in the family as her mother was supposedly a psychic medium who helped Sylvia, you know, understand these new visions and things that she was experiencing and she would also say that her great uncle was a psychic medium who was rabid about ufos so i don't know if that's pro ufo or con ufo um either way i think it's possible to be both you know yeah, to it's me, like, like, rabid, I think you're just, like, insane about UFOs. Like, you're like, ah, UFOs. Yeah, but also you, know? you could have, like, a bone to pick, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe he's, like, upset. Maybe he was, like, abducted or who knows. Um, 
But so she would go on to share her psychic gift with her friends and family. Um, And soon she was, you know, really well known in her community for predicting the future. So she moved to California in 1964, uh, assisting people on her own for a fee, of course. Um, At the time, I'm not sure what her fee was, you know, starting out, but it would eventually be as high as like seven hundred eight hundred dollars for a consulting session um but since she was just starting out at this time it it probably wasn't that high but i couldn't find you know her her rates Mm -hmm. um so sylvia knew she was destined for more um she wanted to create a scam i i mean organization to further her research in the paranormal field um so in 1974 sylvia created the nirvana foundation for psychic research it also stated in her bio that she earned a graduate degree in English, although the university was never specified. And it also said she worked as a teacher for a Catholic school for 18 years, and she was trained as a hypnotist and a trance medium, it's whatever very, that is. It's very un-Catholic of her. See, isn't that, isn't that weird? And it, it seems very much kind yeah. of her thing and like she made her own church so I won't really like go into that part because I didn't do much research on it it just seemed like a little bit out there it kind of reminded me of like the da Vinci code though where like her theory was that like Christ there's like a father aspect and a mother and it was that um Jesus like went off and married Mary Magdalene which I think is the exact plot for the Da Vinci Code so maybe she stole it from that I don't know I can't um, believe you just spoiled the Da Vinci Code for me Natalie it's been <laughs> out for like years <laughs> yeah that's not necessarily it was a book too like come on you can watch it on Netflix now if you want that doesn't give away too much but um essentially that was like <laughs> she had some like weird religious things going on Mm-hmm. Um, so in 1992, Sylvia and the, her then husband, Kenzel Dazzle Brown, which is just a fun name, Kenzel <laughs> Dazzle Brown, were indicted for investment fraud and grand theft. The charges were surprisingly not related to her psychic pursuits, but rather um, some customers in a gold mining venture she had, like super random. Not too much information out there that I could find. Um, but so she pled pleaded no contest to securities fraud and was indicted on grand larceny um so that's actually the only formal crime that she was charged with um but there's more to the story and related to the crime world so bear with me um so sylvia started to gain popularity because she would frequently appear on the montel williams show this was a town <laughs> did, did you do you know what this is yeah you don't know Mont the montel show montel <laughs> no, I, I didn't. Um, he's bald and black. Um, yeah, I saw a picture of him. <laughs> I feel like I know of it, but I've never actually seen an episode. Yeah, no. Um, so this was a tabloid talk show <laughs> that ran from 2001 to 2008 and was hosted by Montel Williams. It was described as being a similar genre to... Did I say genre? Genre... <laughs> to the jerry springer show i also never watched that show i feel like it's probably more like maury but like less like it wasn't as dramatic like there wasn't i guess not as salacious as either of those shows but yeah more like ricky lake (laughs) i don't know what that is either you don't know the ricky lake do you know who ricky lake is 
The woman? No, I don't even know if that's a girl or boy. Oh my god. I don't think that my mom, like, let me watch that much TV when I was a child. Yeah, Definitely like, not, like, I only watch, like, Spongebob and stuff. But, like, Ricky Lake was an icon, so. I don't. <laughs> yeah. All right, moving on. Please don't judge me. <laughs> Please don't judge me. Um, but the themes of the show, you can say if this is right or not, was like reuniting mothers with children they'd placed up for adoption or like finding long lost loves or talking with women who had overcome adversity, like escaping their attempted murders or like other forms of extreme violence. Would you say that's like a good... A good... <laughs> Sorry, everyone's like slamming the door. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I think you might be trying. Uh, whatever. Um, would you say it's like a good... What's the word I'm looking for? Summary, I guess, of like... What the show covered? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Let's go with it. That's what the internet... That's what Wikipedia says. So let's go. Let's go. I was it. also like a child. Like this... So obviously my perception of what it was may not be accurate. Fair. <laughs> Um, anyway, on Wednesdays and sometimes Fridays, Sylvia would perform psychic readings on the guests and would discuss her views on spirituality and the afterlife. Um, so there was kind of a lot of predictions that she would have that weren't what one might call accurate. Um, so I have an example of a couple of them that just especially gained like media attention. Um, so the first was the story of Opal Joe Jennings, which Opal's such a pretty name. Like I would have never thought to name a child Opal, but I actually really love it. Is it? Oh my god, so mean. <laughs> so mean. <laughs> I love. I think Opal is such a beautiful name. Anyway, um, I just I just imagine like um, like an old lady with blue hair. What? I think <laughs> it. I think it's a cute little name but um well you'll feel bad after you hear what happened to poor opal um in 1999 a six-year-old girl named opal joe jennings was taken from her grandparents front yard while playing with her cousin her grandmother was devastated and went on the (laughs) now i can't even pronounce words montel williams show to try to find some answers during her interview she said this is too much for my family to handle we want her back i need to know where opal is i can't stand this i need your help sylvia where is opal where is she and you know what sylvia said what? she said she's not dead but what bothers me now i've never heard of this before but she was taken and put into some kind of slavery thing and taken to japan the place is what? kukoru what <laughs> she said this to a person whose child just went missing like uh what <laughs> the family was shocked montel williams was shocked sylvia clarified that she was taken and put on some kind of boat or plane and had been sold into white slavery this prediction was confusing and distressing to the family And she wasn't even right. So, so incredibly far from the truth. Her prediction could not be more wrong. Opal's body was eventually uncovered in Fort Worth, Texas. It was concluded that she was likely murdered the night she went missing, and a local man named Richard Lee Franks was convicted of her murder. Poor Opal. I'm so sorry. You do have a beautiful name. (laughs) But isn't that 
mess up? Like, could you imagine something like that happening? I just feel like with cancel culture today, like, she would never be invited. Like, why did Montel invite her back on his show after this? Like, that alone. Because it was the tabloid talk show. I'm sure his ratings, like, shot up after that and so they're obviously i feel like show business is already kind of scummy so like not great on his part for that but as a human being for you to look at like somebody in like their most i guess painful like horrifying part of their life like a child being missing and to give false hope when you know nothing and also to make it something so like horrifying like oh my kid's a slave in japan or something like what yeah what if they (sighs) bought tickets to like go to japan and try to find their child yeah like i feel like the united states has gone to war for for less okay (laughs) oh my gosh who knows like what that could have done like it just seems so stupid cannot i cannot and like that's the thing with this woman does she is she just so full of herself and so like delusional that she thinks that what she's saying is true and that's how she keeps going or does she know that what she's saying is a scam and like just doesn't care i mean because both of those options are terrible to me i'm gonna say it's a little bit of both i feel like she like knows that she's saying nonsense but i also think she probably has drank or at the time she drank her own kool-aid a little bit and it's just like oh yeah this i'm sure this has some some air of truth to it (laughs) well yeah because i there were a lot of different sources for this so it's pieced together from a lot of different things um and i think that she had kind of i think in one article it kind of alluded to like oh well i was like hearing things from like a couple different children and this is what i went with but maybe it was this other child so that brings us to 2002 um in 2002 the parents of missing 11 year old sean Horbeck went on the Montel Williams show. Sylvia told them their child was dead and that he had been kidnapped by a dark-skinned man with dreadlocks. She said his body was located between two large boulders. Sean's stepfather, Craig Akers, said that Sylvia offered to do a more extensive off-screen reading for the low, low price of $700. Although Sylvia would claim that this was not true, but, you know, that was kind of the rate that she was suggesting for, like, her other calls. So I don't see why that wouldn't be true. It's not like some outlandish number that is pulling out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, so this, you know, she was like, oh, it's not true. But, you know, it was actually not true was Sylvia's prediction. So it turns out Sean Hornbeck had been kidnapped by a white guy with short hair named Michael Devlin. Sean was found alive in 2007, and they asked Sylvia, like, hey, you know, you were wrong about this, like, what's up with that? Sylvia replied, only God is right all the time. Oh, okay. So, like, this reminds me of um, Amy Cooper, kind of. Like, she's falsely saying a dark-skinned man Mm -hmm. was responsible for this crime, which could potentially... If they're only looking for a dark-skinned man, first of all, they didn't do it. Secondly, like, that could put someone in danger, you know? Um, Yeah. Well, I just feel like it's always just such, like, the easiest, um, like, cop-out to 
go for and also like everyone's gonna believe it you know mm-hmm. everyone's gonna be like well why wouldn't a dark-skinned man with dreadlocks do this like that's what dark-skinned men with dreadlocks do um and so you know good for her and her racism i guess Mm. she was wrong it was a white guy um so yeah not only did she like she was so wrong she was saying that this person is like dead or your child's dead and their body's in between two boulders but no they're still alive that's that's just horrible Mm -hmm. um so that brings us to the next case amanda berry in 2004 luana uh the name is spelled L-O-U-W-A-N-A, so maybe like Luana. Um, Luana Miller was desperate for answers following her daughter's disappearance. On April 13th, 2003, 16-year-old Amanda Berry was working at Burger King when she went missing. Sylvia told Luana that her daughter was dead, saying, She's not alive, honey. Your daughter's not the kind who wouldn't call. Luana passed away in 2006, believing her daughter was dead. But in May of two. 2013, Amanda had escaped her kidnapper, proving Sylvia wrong. So what actually happened on that day in April of 2003, um, so um, Amanda saw a van drive by, thought she recognized a young woman inside. The van drove by again. Amanda got inside, but the other girl was no longer there. The man driving the van said that his son worked at the Burger King um, drove Amanda to his home to see his daughter. I don't know if Amanda was, like, friends with his daughter, or that part was just a little bit confusing, but that's what what the source uh, said. But, so, the guy walked her around his place, kind of gave her a tour, and she was like, okay, can you take me home now? And Mm -hmm. he refused. And she tried to escape, but he ended up, or she, you know, ended up running into a closet. So, I imagine she, she saw a door that she thought went out into the world. It was actually a closet. Um... So she would end up being held hostage with two other women, Michelle Knight, who was kidnapped by the same man in 2002. Uh, Michelle knew the man's daughter, and he lured her into his home with the promise of a puppy. And in 2004, 14-year-old Gina DeJesus was walking home from school with the man's daughter. Uh, he found her later, offered her a ride, you know, since she knew his daughter, she didn't think anything of it, and he kidnapped her too. Um, also, um, that last name is most likely De Jesus. <laughs> um, but yeah, don't Sorry. mind me. Um, isn't so? This is the case where the guy had that like quote that I feel like is what inspired like uh, Kimmy Schmidt's theme song, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, yeah, like. I feel like when I was a kid, my parents were always like, people are going to find you on the street and ask you to help them find their dogs. And you tell them no, because they're just trying to kidnap you. <sighs> so I like had this thought in my mind as a child that like at all these points, like all these people were going to be like, can't we find my dog? And I'll be like, no, you don't no. actually have a dog. Or if someone asks you to come see their puppy, like say no. But it sounded like this guy... Had his daughter, like these girls, all were connected to him because they knew his daughter in some way, shape, or form. But so, like, who was his daughter? I don't know. Yeah, the so source I'm I had wasn't great. <laughs> I'm wondering also if he just like 
found some sort of like height, like some yearbook and was just like, oh, yeah, you know, Stacy, right? I'm her dad. <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, But yeah, no, I similarly, my parents um, very much instilled in me and I still feel it now that like everyone in the world is just out to do me harm. So stay away from everyone. So um, yeah. I feel yeah. I feel bad for these kids though. Never speak to anyone ever. Um, but so all these women were held hostage together. Um, the man's name was Ariel Castro, and he kept these young women and abused them um, and sexually assaulted them, kept them away from their families for nearly ten years. One day, Ariel forgot to lock the door when he went out. Amanda saw this as an opportunity to escape. She screamed for help. Ariel's neighbor, Charles Ramsey, was able to kick through the bottom of the storm door where they were being kept, and they escaped and called 911 from a neighbor's phone. So, like, this woman died believing that her daughter was dead, and I can only imagine. I believe she died from, like, heart failure or something, so... Mm -hmm. The stress of that yeah. exactly like are we i mean your child going missing is a stressful experience but if you believe that your daughter is dead you know broken heart syndrome is mm-hmm. is a real thing so who's to say that that her prediction didn't um you know c- contribute to this woman's heart failure yeah that's like she should go to prison horrible see yeah it's like crazy that like the actual crime that she got you know charged with had nothing to do with all these things that or like why did did this montel williams guy like not do like he did like a bachelor level like background Mm -hmm. check on this woman of like yeah i mean at the end of the day like i'm sure that the production team knew way more than like they knew that this woman was just a scam right but they Mm -hmm. also it also just comes down to like all we care about is views and so yeah i feel like every part of this like everyone's kind of involvement in this was um pretty malicious in my opinion like to just like put this person i think there's an aspect of you know there's people who watch like reality shows or not reality shows talk shows every day and they feel like some sort of connection to the host like ellen or the view and stuff and they trust this person, like, mm-hmm. even if there is no reason to. And so you putting this woman in front of America multiple times, like, just gives people a reason to, like, trust her through, like, familiarity. Right. Um, and I'm guessing they didn't do follow-ups on these mm-hmm. cases that were like, oh, nope, she was wrong about yeah. this one or that one. So it can feel like it's really real and that she's making these accurate predictions, but yeah. she's not. And the internet wasn't, like, going, like, you know, nowadays I feel like she could never get away with that because you go viral in like right. a minute and the world will tear you apart. And so, yeah. Right. Um, so Montel was once asked in a radio interview why he continued to have Sylvia Brown on his show, even though these things have come out that she was wrong. And he said, she's great. She's a funny character. She's hysterical. Not so funny to the people who... We're told their children were dead, though, when they weren't, or vice versa. Um, Over the course of her life, Sylvia made frequent media appearances on Larry King Live, Coast to Coast AM, along with the Montel Williams show. She authored more than 40 books and offered telephone psychic readings for the rate of $850. 
despite the unreasonable cost, the sessions had a four-year waiting list. This is where, again, I'm going to, like, advocate for therapy. It's cheaper than $850, you know, usually very low cost if you have insurance. Um, Mm -hmm. And you don't need to wait four years in most cases to get some therapy to talk through, you know, whatever issue you're wanting to talk to the psychic about. Um, And she found other ways to scam people out of their money, including hosting a lecture series and holding a cruise. Um, So Sylvia would claim she had a success rate of 87 to 90% with her psychic readings. The Skeptical Inquirer did an analysis of 115 predictions she made on the Montel Williams show. Guess what her actual success rate was? 0.1%. Just flat zero. Honestly. I was trying to give her her benefit of the doubt. Like... (laughs) I, that's what I'm like I feel like you could at least get one out of 115 right just by like I could guess that you know yeah <laughs> um um so Sylvia also predicted that she would live to be 88 years old this was not the case as Sylvia died in 2013 at the age of 77 <laughs> so she really wasn't right about hardly anything um so some of you may recognize the name Sylvia Brown from a more recent splash in the media on March 11th, to each time I see like 2000, like as a year, I like it doesn't compute with me. Like, I it just looks so weird. 2020, 2020, March 11th, 2020. Kim Kardashian tweeted an excerpt from Sylvia's book, End of Days Predictions and Prophecies about the End of the World. It said, In around 2020, a severe pneumonia, pneumonia, pneumonia like <laughs> I want to read that word like pneumonia. <laughs> Pneumonia-like illness will spread through the globe, attacking lungs and the bronchial tubes and resisting all known treatments. Almost more baffling than the illness itself will be the fact that it will suddenly vanish as quickly as it arrived, um, attack again 10 years later, and then disappear completely. Uh, like many of her other predictions, I think we can fairly say that this one did not come true. Because it did not disappear very quickly, as we are still 2021 in lockdown, and I sure hope it does not come back again in 10 years. Um, But I guess, like the saying goes, even a broken clock is right twice a day. So that is our good friend, Sylvia Brown. Gosh, Sylvia. She's just such an terrible person i can't even like wrap my brain around it yeah thanks becca for that (laughs) recommendation appreciate it yeah no um awful like i feel like both of our like are just bad people (laughs) yeah like i don't it just seems like there's no rhyme or reason to like the wrong that they have chosen to do yeah i i can't i just can't like wrap my brain around how you could be like so scummy like yeah in her case she's like you know yeah in my case it's like well for the most part you know like you didn't really yeah if you're taking advantage of like billionaires but in this case you're hurting you're like she's literally being cruel to like grieving like desperate people exactly like, and, like, saying are? the most outrageous things. Like, oh, yeah, your kid's in white slavery in Japan. Yeah. And nothing nothing reassuring. <laughs> like, yeah, like, it would be all. one thing if if you were, like, 
you know, I feel that your child has passed, but, like, they want you to know that, like, they're at peace and, like, they want you to not suffer anymore, you yeah. know? Like, I feel like that's what, like, the Long Island medium does is she's, mm-hmm. like, this person wants you to know that, like, and, like, if that's the case, if, like, you need to hear that this person, like, forgives you or whatever, then, like, if that gives you peace, then, like, maybe that's a good thing. Our music is the track Wasteland by Joseph McDade. His Patreon and our podcast sources will be linked in the podcast description below. Any mistakes are entirely our own, so check out our wonderful sources for the most accurate information about these cases. We talk about some tough subject matter on our show. If you or someone you love is in need of support, please reach out to the Crisis Text Line by texting HOME to 741741. They are available 24-7 and will connect you with a trained crisis counselor. You can also reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Join us next week for another episode of Pink Collar, a true crime podcast.